Welcome to Walking It Out, living the Bible in everyday real life. I want to show you a book that I bought over a decade ago, a long time ago, back in the days where Amazon really wasn't a thing and I was buying all of my books by going to the Christian bookstore. You remember those days? You're like, man, I'm going to go to the Christian bookstore and you got excited. You're going to you know, listen to all the CDs that they had, you know, and, and uh, for your young people, those were things. CDs were awesome. And uh, it was cool, but I remember walking over a decade ago and, and stumbling upon this book. I, I went in the bookstore. I wasn't looking for this book. I remember walking the aisles, just going in there like, God, maybe show me something awesome. And I came across this book. It caught my attention because the color of it was red and the title of it, more than anything, got my attention. This book is entitled, The 10 Dumbest Things Christians Do. And it got my attention for a number of, of, of reasons. I read that and I was like, man, you know, uh, 10, only 10? I was like, this, I feel like we could do a lot more than the 10 dumbest things Christians do. But I picked it up because not only did that catch my attention because you don't normally see books entitled that way, but I wanted to know what they were. I wanted to know this guy who I'd never really heard of before that time 12 years ago, Mark Atterbury, or it felt like it was a decade ago. What, what did he think were the top 10 dumbest things Christians do. And so I opened up to the table of contents and to be honest with you, I read through all, all of them and I thought these were, these were not awesome, but they were spot on. They were spot on for the church. I mean, this could have been a book that was entitled The 10 Dumbest Things Churches Do. And, and I started to go through them and, and the first one was they sling mud on the bride of Christ. Right there, I was like, check in my experience. And we're the bride of Christ, and yet we spend a lot of time bashing each other. I mean, it'd be like the image of, of, of standing here and watching your bride in her just beautiful white dress come down the aisle, and people in the crowd are just heaving dirt clumps at her. I got to think Jesus is not happy with that. Dumb move number two was winning people to the church rather than to the Lord Jesus. I was like, ooh, yep. Hopping from church to church. Fighting among ourselves. Missing golden opportunities because we're doing all these other things. Settling for mediocrity. Dumb move number nine, allowing wolves to live among the sheep. Accepting the unacceptable. And then, and then there were two of them that were kind of should go together and, and these are the ones that I remembered. You know, as I'm preparing this sermon, I was really thinking of one of these, but one of them was that we, we one, one dumb move that we do as Christians is we speak above the level of our knowledge a lot. And then this is the one that I just, God brought in a flash. I remember this chapter for this sermon. We live below the level of our beliefs. And so a lot of these, you can read these little titles of the chapters and they make perfect sense and that one may not be the one that's the clearest. What does that mean to live below our levels of belief? You know what it means is that we have a bad tendency in the church and I want to agree. I agreed with this author enough to say, yes, I'm going to buy this book for $13.99. <laughs> you know, 12 years ago, I didn't have $13.99, but I was like, I need this. What does it mean to live below our level of belief? It means that we have a bad tendency to, to tell people we believe something, to state a, an explicit belief and then go and live in a way that doesn't match what we're saying. We are guilty of that in the church. And this author was making the statement that he says when anybody does that in the church or outside of the church, non-Christian and Christian, he says the word that I would use to describe that is dumb. I started thinking about that. 
I were to stand here and we're in the, the middle of the cabin of a plane and, and I were to look at you and say, I believe with everything inside of me that if I jump out of this door right now without a parachute on, it's not going to end pretty. And then I just jump out. You would think either I'm nuts or I am stupid. If we were in the middle of the woods and, and we're backpacking through the woods and a bear comes up, 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 upon us and I look at you and I say, hey, oh my goodness, this bear, we ought to be frightened because I believe from everything I know and have experienced that bear, this bear could eat us. Would you pass me that honey, you know, scented bug spray? I mean, that would be stupid. And we laugh at those things and say, yeah, that would absolutely be dumb. But let me, let me just for a second kind of hone us in on what we're going to read here in Matthew 6. I want some audience participation for this and I promise you it will be super easy. I want anybody in the room right now who, who claims to have professed Jesus as your master, as your king, as your Lord, your savior. You are recognizing and professing with your mouth that Jesus has been and is the only way for you to be made right with the Father by his death on the cross and resurrection. I want you to raise your hand super easy if you believe that sin is really bad. I told you it was easy. Super easy. I want you to see these hands. Okay, I want you to, to, to raise your hand again if you believe that not only is sin really bad, but it is emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually destructive. All right, let me give you another easy one. How many of you that profess Jesus as your King, Lord, Master, Savior, Redeemer, purchased you with his blood on the cross would say that you believe God is good? How many would you say that believe that God is not only good, but he is trustworthy? Let me ask you one more. How many of you would say that you're willing to say that you believe that if God makes a promise, not only can he fulfill it, but he will fulfill the promise? Bible scholars, all of you. Five for five. If you raised your hands, that's true. And here's the thing. We look at this as Christians. We... We would say that. We have no problems. You, it's not one where you're looking around. Sometimes people would ask us a question. We're like, I don't know the answer to that. We know the answer to that. We know. Somebody asked me if sin is serious business to God. Clearly it is. I know that from scripture. The wages of it, the penalty of sin is death. I know that it has the ability to kill, to separate us from God. That it, it hinders and halts my intimacy with Jesus. I know that sin has a way of robbing us of joy and our freedom and the abundant life that we have in Christ. I know that it harms our witness. I know that it frustrates God. I know that it makes the enemy happy. I know that it entertains him. We would say all of those things. We would tell anybody who sits in front of us that if sin's over here you need to run away from it as fast as humanly possible and it's why we're so thankful for Jesus and yet with our actions we let some sin make it in past our spiritual radar of our beliefs and not only is it kind of intermittent, shows up in our life, we let some sin just nest and fester and live consistently in our lives. It's subtle. It's not all sins. I think most of us would say, you know what, Brad, that's not true. I have just drawn a hard line in the sand with murder. <clears throat> it doesn't, it's not nested itself in my life. Well, good job with that. That's, that's, <clears throat> that's true. But what about worry? 
You see, we have an enemy, and he is not to be underestimated. He is the father of lies. He is the great schemer, Paul called him. He would love to have you focus your whole life on not breaking or, or introducing and letting big sins, big sins f- nest in your life. But he would love for you to allow other sins to nest in your life and therefore harm your, harm your witness, rob you of joy. Decrease freedom in Christ. Worry. I'll tell you something, every Sunday I stand up here and I, I've told people this a million times, I, I am preaching to me more than I am ever preaching to you but even more than that this Sunday I feel like I'm preaching this completely to me and you just happen to be in the room this morning what, what do we do with worry it's a sin I feel like for most of us we've made it some kind of acceptable thing though in our life we, we've allowed worry not to be something that pops up in our life like anger and we repent and we'll get to that in a minute but it's something that we've allowed to dictate and fixate on and inundate our lives and, and we listen to the words of Jesus coming up here and, and here's what, what I think we would listen to is it doesn't make sense to the world it sounds dumb if, if we are allowing the sin of worry to consume us what we are telling the world is don't be fooled by the words that come out of my mouth I really don't trust God to take care of me Don't be fooled when I raise my hand in the Sunday service. Watch my life when I leave here and you'll see if I really believe this or not. How do you know? How do you know? Before we even get into the scripture, how do you know if that's you? Because it would be easy for us to explain that away. How do I know if I really have let worry creep into my life and dominate me? Let me just, let me start with three questions just to use as some self-evaluation so that you really might listen up. Is there anything in your life Today, has there been anything in your life this year that it's the first thing you think about when you wake up and the last thing you think about when you go to bed? If that thing is other than Jesus, you might want to just pay attention. Have you ever had something during the, the, the year where you've gotten so consumed and fixated by it that even in your spare moments during the day, you were thinking of that thing? When you were talking to your friends and you call people on the phone and you meet them for lunch, did that come up in every single conversation? Might have a problem with anxiety. You might have a problem with worry. And even bigger, you may have a problem with trust in the Lord. I want you to look at what Jesus has to say about this in Matthew chapter 6. Look with me in verse 25. Jesus is about halfway through the greatest sermon that's ever been preached on the planet he's right through the sermon on the mount he's preaching on lots of things jesus really it wasn't like a sermon it was like a sermon series he just did it all at once and here he starts in verse 25 and i just want you to notice the first word here he he's popping from topic to topic but they're all threaded together and he says in verse 25 of matthew chapter 6 therefore i just want to stop there for a second when you see that word therefore i've said this before you need to look ahead for it to understand its context if there's a word therefore ask yourself what it's there for right before this jesus talks about what we just talked about in the parables last week jesus starts talking about treasure Jesus, right before this therefore, and he's going to talk about worry, it's connected to what comes before it. This therefore is there because we need to understand the concepts he said right before this. So before he talks about worry, he says therefore. And here's what it's there for. He says that, you know what, our treasure is in heaven, it's not on earth. He was trying to remind them of this. 
Our treasure is Christ Jesus. Why would we spend our time putting our treasure on trinkets and money and things where moth and rust can destroy and thieves can come in and steal it and take it from us? Why would I make my treasure my health when cancer can rob me of that? Why would I make my hope my bank account when the bank system goes bad and I lose it tomorrow? Why would I make my hope my house when you let a hurricane come in and blow it away? All of those things can be gone in a second. Why would I do that? My treasure is not on this planet. My treasure is in heaven and his name is Jesus. And Jesus says, therefore, knowing that, look at what he tells us. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life and why are you anxious about clothing consider the lilies of the field how they grow they neither toil nor spin yet I tell you even Solomon in all of his glory has not arrayed like one of these But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, he's dropping lots of therefores in this passage. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus starts off with this rhetorical question. Jesus starts off, before we get to verse 25, and he would, he would ask us to raise our hand and say, is, am I your treasure? And we would all, just like we did this morning, raise our hand with Jesus on this podium and say, yes, Jesus, absolutely no problem. And he would say, then why is your life so fraught and inundated with worry? Something is off. You're living below your level of belief. What you say you believe is what you're raising your hand with is clearly not true. If I'm your treasure, then why are you focused on this trinity of worldly provisions? You know that I care for you, that I love you, and that that your treasure is me. Why are you so concerned with what's on your body and what goes in it and what other people think of you? There's a, a breakdown here. If you treasure God, then guess what? You will trust him. They go hand in hand. In verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore, in light of the fact that he's our treasure and not money, in light of the fact that if he's really our treasure, then he tells us we ought not be anxious for our life, what we will eat, what we will drink, not about our bodies, and what we put on. He looks at us and he says, Don't let this trinity of worldly cares lead you away from the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You want a you sentence here. Here's what Jesus says. And, and this doesn't really help us until we understand him unpack it. But in verses 25 through 34, he looks at us and he says, you know what? Don't worry. 
If I look at you with whatever you're going through in life and I tell you, hey, look, don't worry about it. You would be right to look at me and be like, seriously? Just, I'm not going to worry about everything I see going on in the world because it seems like when I look at the news, there's plenty of reasons to worry, Brad. And just because you tell me not to is not a good enough reason. I'm sorry. Hey, they're talking about nuclear weapons packs. Hey, but Pastor Brad said, don't worry. So, well, I guess we just won't. Hey, I just got diagnosed with stage four cancer and and, and my children are little and I don't know if I'm going to make it tomorrow, but Pastor Brad, he said, don't worry about it. So, let's go get some ice cream. I don't know how, I just lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage. I don't know, my kids have to go to college. But he said, don't worry about it. That's good enough for me. That's ridiculous. What do I know? It's my greatest struggle preaching in front of you every week. It's why I'm so thankful for the word of God. Outside of it, I have no business on this platform. I can't do anything to help your life, nothing. The word can. And so here's the difference. Brad Kirby didn't write this verse. Jesus did. And Jesus is saying here, he's saying, look, am I your treasure? Then you have nothing to worry about. And that does matter. And even though I think we have the audacity, but we we have the ability to ask him, and I think he answers here, we would look at it and say, okay, Jesus, why? I mean, three times he told them not to worry. That therefore don't be anxious shows up in verse 25, verse 31, verse 34. I mean, he told them three times, don't be anxious. If you didn't get it the first time, don't be anxious. Therefore, don't be anxious. But in between those therefores, he gives us the reasons to our why question. Okay, Jesus, well, why? That's what I want to give you this morning. I want you to grab your pencil, your pen. I want you to grab that section of of the bulletin that has notes. Or if you don't have that, grab something that you can write on. It will be worth it. I'm going to give you the reasons that Jesus gives us for his rationale by telling us that we ought not be people who are inundated with the sin of anxiety and sin of worry. Right here in verse 25, he begins to tell us, number one, you know why we ought not worry? Because life is about more than food, drink, clothes, our bodies, and physical things. I mean, look at what he says in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about what? Your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? What was Jesus talking about here? I mean, why do people, this is the question I have for myself, why do people get so anxious about those things? I mean, it's interesting that Jesus picked those things out. There's a million things to worry about. He picks out three things. Food, drink, clothing. You know why? You know why I think people worry about those things? Because the world tells us that, that what those things provide for us are the most important things. You know what food provides for me? Yeah, pleasure. Drink provides for me provision and pleasure. You know what clothes provide for us? You know why they were so worried about clothes? It wasn't because they didn't have clothes on their back. They did. They didn't have the right clothes on their back. It wasn't that they needed to stay warm. All of these people had that. It wasn't because they, they, didn't, they were sitting there naked on the side of the mountain. That wasn't it. They wanted some clothes that, that gained them something. It wanted to gain them human admiration. You know why Jesus picked these things out? Because that's what the world tells us life is about. 
You know what the meaning of life is? Making sure that I glorify myself. That I get pleasure from myself. That I enjoy myself. And the way I do that is to feed myself full of things that provide for me and pleasure me and gain attraction from other human beings so they can glorify me. This is the message of our world. And because we get so fixated on pleasure and human adoration and long life, we're so concerned about our body, he says, because the world tells us this is it. This is the only thing that matters. So we better try to figure out how to drag it on as long as humanly possible because this life is the, really the thing that matters. And Jesus reminds us of several things in this passage. He reminds us that if you've become fixated on these things, you have lost sight of the real treasure, number one. But you have forgotten what real life is about you've forgotten him and as a result you've forgotten that this life is a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes you've forgotten what Paul figured out Paul figured out that compared to knowing Jesus who is the treasure he considered everything rubbish and garbage and a loss everything If you believe, you've put so much stock in this world. I mean, you've put too much stock, as Paul would say, in the things that we can see. I mean, I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. Even though our outside self, our bodies are wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that we see, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen which is your bank account, which is your clothes, which are these pews, which is this church. Those things are temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul would tell us that those things that we can see cannot compare to the treasures and riches that we have in Christ Jesus. And they are temporary. So that tells me that even if I'm in this room and I'm a millionaire, guess what? One day it will burn. It won't last forever. Guess what I know about my body and your body? It will not last forever as it is. Your clothes, I don't care if it has the right name and label on it, it will end the same way as my clothes. We were were not created for this life for the enjoyment of ourselves or for money or for clothes or human animation. We were created for the enjoyment of God. The greatest need in our life is not for the approval of man, but it is to live for the approval of God, to be made right with him. Why should I get so enamored and anxious about what Jesus would say are the small things when there are much greater purposes for our life? Why would I spend all of my energy and my time and my worry and get so inundated that it leads me away from God and I'm focusing on things that mean utterly, really nothing? Be like somebody who's getting bad news at the hospital that they've got some terminal illness and they're spending all their time worried about what color the hospital bed sheets are. Made me think of a story. I used to ask my youth when I was a youth pastor, I used to ask them million dollar questions all the time just because I kind of wanted to get to know them. You know, if we were just hanging around, I'd ask the youth, they'd be like, hey, for a million dollars, I still do this with our family. Hey, for a million dollars, would you do this or that? And depending on just how crazy their answers are, I would file it away like, okay, let me watch that child. <laughs> He literally will do anything. I just, you know, he has just no boundaries. I'll never forget this one girl. I asked her, 
And uh, I remember, I've worded it like this, I don't even remember what the thing was, but I said, hey, for a, somebody's going to give you a suitcase full of a million dollars, would you do this? And literally, without even thinking, her reply was, well, what kind of suitcase? <laughs> the only thing you could do is do this motion with your hand, like, who cares? I don't care if it's a, you know, a, a piggly wiggly bag. There's a million dollars in it. Who cares if it's a Gucci suitcase? I don't care. This is what Jesus is telling us. If, if I'm enamored with worry, I've got a problem. I'm focusing on worthless, small things. He's given me all the riches and the treasures of heaven. What do I care of what I eat? He knows what I need. I trust him. He'll take care of it. I got a problem is what he's saying. Anybody in the room that thinks it's, it's just the way of the world, it's a problem. So number one, he tells us that there's more to life than these things, and these things are small. Number two reason he gives us in verse 28 is that we're valued by God. See, so many times we forget that. We think that we, don't have, we can't trust him because I don't even think God cares for me enough. He's got bigger things to do than to worry about whether I can pay my rent. God's got this. He cares for you. He loves you. He died for you. And yes, we ought to be humble. Humility is not saying that I'm the scuzz of the earth. No, it is to say I know that I'm not God and he is. But let's not forget, while I know apart from Jesus I am nothing and I can do nothing with Jesus, let me not forget I am a child of the King of God. I am a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. He values us. Look at what he says in verse 6. We ought to learn, he says. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. I think Jesus was preaching this sermon. He probably pointed up. He said, look, let me, if you're not getting this, look at these birds. I think he looked at him and he said, let's just, let's just observe these birds for a second here. I want you to notice how they live. And he may have given them five minutes. Let's just watch them. Birds wake up every morning and they're not lazy creatures. They're working. I mean, they are up before you're up because early birds get the worm. That's what we know. It's just a fact we learned in kindergarten. And they're up and maybe they are getting worms and they're getting bugs and they're digging around and they're making nests and, and busy with that. But you notice one thing I notice about birds, they don't really have a, a stockpile of worms. I mean, they're busy doing what they've been created to do by God during this day, but they don't have a stockpile of worms over here. They're not sitting around saying, oh my goodness, we better do this today, but I better go ahead and get 10 more worms over here because tomorrow, tomorrow, I don't know what will happen. Birds are just working. The point Jesus wanted to look at is they're just, they're just doing today what they're supposed to do. And Jesus looked at him and says, you know what, God is the one who provides for them. That's interesting. I mean, the bird is this creature who is living, the point of this, and they're acting as if God is the merciful provider today and tomorrow. I mean, birds aren't hoarding things up. They go about their work today like the sun came up and like it will come up tomorrow because God will still be God. Jesus looks at him. He says, look at these lesser creations. That's the interesting part. And these aren't even you. He says, you're of more value than even the birds. If I take care of them and they're not worried about it, then why in the world should you worry? I've never seen a bird begging on the street corner. Never seen one sitting there with a sign saying, could you help me out with food? God takes care of them. 
Jesus is looking at him and saying, look, there might be days where you don't have what you want. And there might be things you're doing that hurt yourself. Listen to me. Do what I've asked you to do. He's going to get to that in verse 33. Seek my kingdom and, and righteousness. And look, those things, I will take care of them. Because I know that you have need for them. But he's saying, look at this. Let the birds preach to you. Let the birds listen to their song. And let them sing the song of God's provision and providence. As you hear them sing, remember that you are more valuable to God to them and yet they are not hungry. God values us. He looks at us here and and he not only says that, he says, look at the the flowers. Look at these lilies. Learn from them, he says. Not only are are you more valuable than birds, but God wants to beautify his children. He does want to adorn his bride. Now let me give you a little warning for everybody who might have a tendency to listen to some of these charlatans and false teachers that tell you that that because I just let that word come out of my mouth that that means that we are going, supposed to, if we're God's children, have health, wealth, and prosperity. That's garbage. And if you're listening to someone who's preaching that gospel to you, I need to tell you something. It's no gospel at all. It is a lie. Amen. God does want to adorn his bride. He does want to make his children beautiful. But here's what I would tell you. Don't don't miss this here. Be careful. Be careful that you don't measure the perfection of God's provision by some standard that's below his calling. To think that the way that Christ wants to adorn his church is with dollar bills and jewels and Gucci clothes or whatever people wear. He can do much better than that to adorn his church. Amen. Let me tell you something. All day what he would tell us is there is no comparison for us. If it's a matter of having the jeans that are at Potomac Mills Mall that everybody wants or being clothed in righteousness, there is no question. So what if I have the right label on my suit, but I've not been clothed and adorned in righteousness? It will burn just like me, and the wages of my sin are not covered by his righteousness. He wants to adorn us with righteousness. He wants to beautify us with the glories of his grace. He wants to clothe us with a meek and a quiet spirit. As a bride gathers herself and beautifies herself, the Heavenly Father wants to beautify His children with robes and clothes of righteousness. If He does it for the birds, how much more for us, His children? He's a good Father. The more of we know who He is, the more we trust Him. The third reason he gives us in this passage of scripture. Why Jesus? You're just telling us we ought not worry. Well, but there's more to life than what we see. Don't buy that lie from the world. Number two, I value you more than you know. And number three, nothing good comes from worry. It is completely unproductive. I mean, this we know. We look at this. It was as simple as it is. I mean, look at verse 27. Jesus words it like this. And oh, by the way, he asked this rhetorical question. And which of you, somebody raise your hand, he says, can add some time to your life by worrying? Yeah, that's an easy rhetorical question. No. 
I would submit to you, not only can you not add any time to your life, I mean, Hebrews 9, that pastor told us that my time is appointed. Your time is appointed. It's appointed once for man to die, and after that comes judgment. Worrying doesn't change that appointment. I tell you what it can do, though. It can decrease the quality of your life. I mean, just physically, it's not good for you. I mean, I don't care who your doctor is, or whatever health plan you follow, or whatever site you follow for health fitness, I can promise you that none of them are going to recommend that if you want to have a healthy situation, here's what you need. More stress and anxiety in your life. If you have that doctor, please find another one. Please. It won't change anything. It'll only make it worse looking at this. No doctor's going to tell you that worrying doesn't change anything. As a matter of fact, I started talking about this with somebody else in our church last week. You know, I think about 95%, and that's probably a low number, 95% of every single thing I've ever worried about never even happened. So it's not a matter of it won't change the things that do happen. It never happened. Even the worst thing, somebody diagnosed me with cancer, and they were telling me the odds are it's not going to happen, and I worried and worried and worried, and guess what? I'm still here. I'm not sovereign. I'm not in control. God is. I know him. What what business did I have worrying about it? Let me trust him. Let me trust him like Paul said that whether by life or death he may be glorified. I thought about an example from John Piper and I'll share this and we'll get to our last point. John Piper shared a story about losing his wallet. He said he, over time, he had he always go on a vacation and like three of the times he went to the beach, he lost his wallet and it ruined the vacation. Somewhere along, he knew he lost his wallet and then he couldn't enjoy, I mean, three, four days, he couldn't enjoy the vacation because he's worried about people stealing his car. They're gonna empty his bank account. They've got his personal information. And he says, I was just so worried about it until I had it resolved and I had to get to a phone and cancel that card. He says, but one time I lost it at the beach, lost my wallet. And he said, this time was different. I didn't worry about it, not for one second. I enjoyed my three days and vacation and, and just no problems at all. And, and I remember hearing that story and thinking, well, but you need to tell me how. That's incredible. And he says, you know what was different? He says, this time, as opposed to the other three times, I didn't know I lost my wallet. <laughs> I mean, he had three days. He didn't need it, apparently. He thought his wife had it. He gets home and somebody had put it in an envelope, had found it in the sand and mailed it to him. So the first time he realized that for three days his wallet was gone, he gets home, he's like, what's this package? And he pulls it out, he's like, oh my God. I thought you had it. No, I thought you had it. He's like, oh my gosh. He said it dawned on him though. Every single time he's ever lost his wallet, it all worked out. The only difference this time is that he didn't ruin days and time in his life worrying about it. And it reminded him, if I really am a person who's gonna raise my hand and say, I believe Romans 8, 28, if we're people who are gonna look at everybody else and say, yes, God is working all things together for the good of those called according to his purpose, then what do I have to worry about? That means he's already got an answer on the way. I'm going to trust him and not let it remove peace from me, freedom from me. He's in control. Last thing, and this is the last thing I want you to see. Why else is it that we ought not worry? This is the most important one. I think this is about the one. I think Jesus is concerned that we're not worrying people for us. I think Jesus said this because he didn't want his disciples to worry. Yes. He didn't want them to worry because he loved them. He didn't want them to worry because you know what? It harmed their witness and what he was calling them to do. He didn't want them to worry because 
because he just knew that it would take them away from things that were more important, but more than anything else, you know why I think Jesus says here he doesn't want them to worry? Because it dishonors him. It, it robs God of glory. It's the very thing we've been created for and to do, according to Colossians. It makes his people look stupid. And it makes God look weak and uncaring. Look at this question Jesus asked here as we look at this last point. Jesus started off and he said this. Is not your life, and if you don't mind underlining your Bible, here's a word that I think we miss so often. Is your life, is not your life more, more than food? And your body more than clothing. For people who have become inundated and consumed by worry, I think they struggle to answer this question. What is the more that Jesus is talking about? The reason why they've become so fixated on those things are because they don't know what the more is that's better. They have spent all of their time focused on only these things that they can see and that the world says important and they have lost sight of the other side of this equation where Jesus says there is something over here that is better and more than this. What is the more? I mean, in order for me to buy this deal from Jesus, I have to agree with him. You're right, Jesus. There is something over here better than all those things where I'm willing to just say, get rid of them. Look in verse 33, Jesus tells us what the more is. Verse 33, he says, but this, here's what we ought to seek. Not clothes and money and let that be what we're fixated on, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the irony is, is when we'll do that, we'll wake up like the birds and get to work seeking those kinds of things. All of these other little small things he'll take care of. I think the irony is we spend time trying to seek these things and we don't get them. If we would seek him, he would provide. And we look at Jesus and say, yes, there's more than that, but we can't answer the question. And, and here's, the, here's what he's trying to say is that we will sit in church and say, I am so fired up about the fact that I've been made right and I've been given righteousness and clothed in righteousness in Jesus. And that's my treasure. And then we will go home. I'm preaching to Brad. And we will get on the internet and we will go to Amazon and Pinterest and wherever we buy stuff from, Apple. And what consumes our thoughts and our time is how to get the next thing. And we seek it. It's not even things we need. I'm going to tell you right now, ain't nobody need the new iPhone. Nobody does. You don't even know what's different about this version, if you're being honest, than the one that was the five. (laughs) You can go right now and buy a $187 iPhone 6, and if somebody can really tell me what the new one does that's worth $1,000 more, bravo. You're like, well, that camera has the foggy background. So I got to go and dish out a grand for this thing. You don't need that. We spend our time and it's a, it's a hole that sucks you into it. You got a home that has a room for everybody in your family and everybody's warm and covered up and provided for and yet you're trying to figure out how you can get a bigger home. Why? 
Because you need it? No, because the world tells me I need a bigger home and it's got to be better and I've got to sink every dollar into that. Never satisfied because my satisfaction is not found in Jesus. It's in the next thing that wrath, that moth and rust destroy. Dishonors God because he looks at him here and finally he says this. He says, it, it, it dishonors me because not only because life is about more than food and clothing. And he says, don't you get that? In verse 32, he says, we shouldn't be anxious about these things that we eat and drink. He says, you know why? Because the Gentiles, unbelievers do that. You know why it dishonors God? Because when they look at how we live our lives, we look no different than the world. The only difference is they're being honest and we're not. The world says my treasure is the iPhone and their corresponding actions. It makes God look like a charlatan and a joke when we say that he is our life and if to live is Christ, to die is gain. But you know what? I'm going to throw everything away and spend all of my time, attention, money, treasure, and talent on the next iPhone. The world will look at us and be like, you're a liar and a hypocrite. And they would say, I don't need your God. Our lives are exactly the same. Our treasure is exactly the same. I would rather just be honest. Jesus is preaching this sermon and, and I think he's preaching to me. He's preaching to you. He's looking at it and he's saying, don't live your life for worldly treasure because you'll die like a fool. I think of, you know, I end with this. I think of our archaeology. I love it. They're finding these new pyramids every day with these pharaohs and it's, it's a fascinating thing to me and a just unbelievably sad thing to me. You look at it and look at these tombs where these, these pharaohs put everything in there that they think are valuable I mean every trinket and thing and boats and statues because they believe that they're somehow going to be able to take this with them and you would look at this and be like we learn so much about their culture and yet that's so sad because that's foolishness and stupidity be like somebody saying hey bury me in my car because I really want it to go with me that's stupid it's dumb What do we do? That's what I end with. What, what do you do? What do you do if this morning you look at this and say, yes. You know, what worry does for us, if you look at your level of worry, it is like a gas gauge for your trust in the Lord Jesus. If I'm high on this end and I'm worrying, it means that my faith in him is low. What do you do? I, I think you have to replace worry with something. It's not a matter of just saying don't worry. I think you have to replace it. It's why, it's why Paul said in the apostles that we need to think on certain things. If you're thinking this, if you're looking at something, if you're looking at something unhealthy, thinking something unhealthy, he says think on these things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Thomas Chalmers, this Puritan preacher, preached a really famous sermon called the, the greater power of a, no, the expulsive power of a greater affection. If I want to get rid of something in my life, I'm going to focus on something greater. If I hunger for the world, here's what I need. I need a greater hunger for a bigger picture of God. I need to know Christ Jesus more. It's why Paul would say, you know what I consider? Here's what he said in Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything lost because of what? Because of the surpassing worth the worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And you know what he countered the, the loss of all things? As rubbish. 
And he wasn't talking about his clothes. Paul was saying, you know what I consider rubbish? They're going to kill me. They're going to chop my head off. They've already beaten me five times with 39 lashes. I cannot imagine what number four and five was like. After they've already beaten you within one lash of your life, the second time when your back is still tender and fleshy, they gave you 39 more, 39 more, 39 more, 39 more. You've been shipwrecked. You're poor. And he looks at his whole life and he says, you know what I count that over here compared to knowing Jesus? Rubbish. This is my treasure. Even my own body and my own life is rubbish. Take it. Take it from me. What if we knew Jesus like the treasure that he is? What if we didn't buy the lie of the enemy to believe that the world is our treasure? Think, think of the freedom that you would have. Think of the time you would have if you took all the time you used for worry and just removed it from your schedule. I hear people all the time, what do you do with somebody who has nothing to lose? You can't hurt somebody who has nothing to lose. What, do you want to take away my bank account? Okay. It's rubbish. Hey, we're, we're going to kill you if you don't do this. Oh, that's fine. What, I, I've been crucified with Christ already. You're only making me get home faster. Amen. You can't hurt somebody whose treasure is in a place that is so secure that the world has nothing to say and can't touch it. Who you, even angels and demons and principalities can't separate me from the love of Christ. Think of the freedom that you would have. 